Amen. Thanks be to God. Thank you all for, uh, for reading as a family coming up. And we're going to be there, uh, this passage in Luke 2. Uh, it's Christmas passage, really. Uh, and we'll continue on with it uh, tomorrow night as well um, in the Christmas Eve service. Uh, over the last month, uh, we've talked, if you've been here, you've heard me uh, describe Advent, which literally means, as that video showed, uh, to wait. I mean, the word Advent means to wait. And we've been talking about this Advent season leading up to Christmas, uh, watching and waiting for the Lord, uh, wherever you are in your life. Uh, and many of us will watch and wait for uh, Christmas or watch and wait for presents. Uh, but many of us have situations where we don't know where the Lord is, and this can be a very intentional season to watch and wait for the Lord to show up. Now, that also entails uh, a possibility of being afraid, of fear. And it does so because we can say in our minds, well, what if he doesn't show up? What if the Lord is not present? Uh, and those questions, uh, those questions are drawn from a fear, uh, which is also uh, doubt, uncertainty, insecurity. Now, those questions are maybe very valid to say, but the reality as a Christian and in Scripture uh, and in the history of the church and my hope for the future is false. As in just thinking that, well, maybe the Lord won't show up is false. Well, maybe the Lord isn't here is false. You know, if, if nothing else, if you're a real Christian, and I do highlight that phrase, a real Christian. If you're a real Christian, you should never feel alone. You may feel some sense of loneliness, but a real Christian knows they're never alone. Uh, a real Christian... I uh, should know that the, the fears that can be valid can easily be overcome and put an end to. Now, the thing about fear for us, or for many that I know, is we don't like to admit it. Uh, we don't like to admit that we're afraid. We really live in a culture of, of doers and getting things done and achievers and putting on the best face, putting the best foot forward. So we don't like to always admit that we are afraid. Yet it's very powerful that I've seen when people do admit they're afraid. Very powerful. Uh, it shows a sense of need. Uh, it shows a sense of insufficiency. Uh, it shows uh, a sense that they need the Lord. And the Lord comes to the needy, the humble, the broken, the insufficient. He always has. He always will. It's even more powerful, though, when fear comes to an end in our lives. There may be circumstances, but the fear that those circumstances can bring, it is very, very powerful to see a person, an individual, where fear has come to an end. And I believe, to go back to that song, that in Christ, that is very possible, highly possible, I think this passage, although it's a Christmas passage, I believe that it can show us a couple things about fear, about being afraid. Uh, it shows in three topic sections, points, whatever, 
a world of fear, an experience of fear, and an end of fear. Uh, So first off, a world of fear. And this is the world that Mary and Joseph inhabit as we meet them in Luke 2. It is Uh, It is literally a world of fear because of, uh, well, you could direct it towards one person on earth, and that would be Caesar Augustus. Uh, Now, some of y'all know I love history, and so I love getting into the context of things, but uh, a brief little historical sketch. Caesar Augustus was the nephew of Julius Caesar, whom we know a little bit more of. Caesar Augustus was a born fighter, renowned as a warrior. He defeated uh, you might have seen the old movie with Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton, uh, which isn't that great. But anyway, Antony and Cleopatra, this was a guy that defeated them, not to ruin the movie, but it's history. He defeated them and pretty much ruled with an iron fist and with the force of his personality. Uh, so much so that uh, the word Augustus, uh, literally, he was the first Caesar that they attached that name to, uh, literally meant God, little g God. Savior, little s Savior. And so uh, his peace, historians would equate it more to a Hitler type peace. As in like, you're always looking over your shoulder at what you said or what you did. So this was, he built a world, literally, of fear. And so I believe that Luke was giving us this context uh, to show us where the real Savior uh, was being born. And the time that he was... He was coming to this earth. And we too can live in a world of fear. Uh, We may not uh, be in a government like that, but you can look across the world globally and it can be very fearful. Uh, There are still tyrants, uh, many of them out there. Uh, There is much uh, division uh, that we hear about, both in uh, in our nation, in in the world uh, in general. Uh, There's the fear of uh, you know, people uh, taking uh, things and into their own hands and uh, committing mass crimes and tragedies. I mean, we, we can easily say that we live in a world of fear uh, then and, and now. Uh, an experience of fear, though, uh, if we want to get personal with Mary and Joseph, uh, they went through this experience of fear. Uh, first off, they had to make this journey. Uh, which again was forced by Caesar Augustus. So they had to travel roughly about 80 miles to Bethlehem. And if you can imagine, you know, we always think that there was a donkey, you know, there. The Bible doesn't say that. So the journey, you know, Mary is full term. Uh, It's very likely that she walked those 80 miles. Okay. And... They had to do it. Joseph had to do it. If they didn't do it, um, you know, there would be consequences. So they had to do it, so they were fearful. So they went through this journey when Mary was at full term of pregnancy. And remember, we said this a couple weeks ago, she was probably 14, okay, around there. I mean, that's, that's as old as she probably was. She may have been younger. Uh, she, was, she knew on this journey she would probably give birth. Now, you can read Luke 1. I'm not going to read it today, but you can read about her faith and the song, Mary's Magnificat. But, you know, as she was going, I mean, she had to have been wondering, man, what is going on here? She had to be afraid. She had to be afraid. She was going to deliver her firstborn son away from her mom, 
away from all who cared about her. And so the journey and the pregnancy, and and those of you who have experienced pregnancies and uh, deliveries and complicated deliveries, uh, you know the fear that 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 can bring. The accommodations. You know, they get to Bethlehem, and obviously there's no room. We know the passage. Uh, but, you know, in, in reading more about this, a, a, lot of the, uh, a lot of people a lot smarter than I am really think that the way that inns were set up there, there was like a row of outhouses, okay? What we would think of as, as an outhouse. So very small. And so all those were filled. So then we, we often will go to, well, there was, there was a cave or something. Well, it doesn't say that. So if you had the inn, there was a courtyard outside these rows of outhouses where the animals were kept. So it's very likely that there was no roof. I mean, there was no even natural covering over Mary and Joseph's head as she gave birth. That she literally gave birth out where a lot of horses uh, or donkeys or cattle or livestock were rode up and there in the middle she gave birth to her firstborn son. So imagine the experience of fear of Mary as a mom and her firstborn out possibly in the middle of night uh, with animals and livestock as she's going through this natural delivery, okay, and cold and complicated. And, you know, we, we take this for granted. We highlighted Joseph a couple weeks ago. But imagine the fear of Joseph. Not just for Mary, but as a man and men out there of like, man, I can't even provide a roof. I can't provide hardly anything. I mean, imagine the shame that he could feel. Imagine the worry that he could, just the experience going on. Yeah, they, probably like us, they probably had a strong faith. But when you're put in the midst of these experiences, the fear overwhelms you. And they hadn't seen angels at this point. They certainly hadn't seen wise men. The shepherds hadn't come. But right there in the moment, there's this dramatic experience of fear. Now then, before we even get to the good news, it highlights the shepherds. So the way Luke writes it, we have the experience before we know. I mean, we're like, we know because we've heard the story so often. But before we get to the good news that the angels proclaim, then he shifts to the shepherds. And they had an experience of fear too. They actually, they lived in a world of fear too. Not just from Caesar Augustus, but shepherds at that time. And I believe that God was very intentional in declaring the news first to shepherds. They were reviled by society. Now, just about all of us here, no matter what your job is, what you make, I mean, all of us here could... And I don't think we experienced just the revulsion of society, but shepherds did. The only people, and this was a very class-conscious society, so the only people who were lower than shepherds at that time were lepers, okay? And, you know, Jesus was with the lepers and healed the lepers and leprosy. So the only people that they could say, you know, they were above class-wise were lepers. So they would go through their life in this world of fear, and here they have an experience of fear that we know about, but they didn't know then what was going on with seeing the angels in that initial, maybe the first angel, what was going on. So they had this experience of fear too. 
So then an end of fear, like how does fear come to an end? Probably all of us here, I mean, myself included. I mean, there, there are different situations where we're, we're very fearful. There are things that are in the back of the mind or the front of the mind that we're just afraid of that. And usually it entails some type of loss. Maybe it's a loss of job, career, of reputation, of family, of death. So when I say that I believe fear can come to an end and that this passage shows us, I, I believe that, but how would fear, how would fear come to an end? First off, it is with the news that the angel said. The angel said and spoke, verse, verse 10, but the angel said to them, don't be afraid for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Many of us have heard that, read that, memorized that, know that. Don't be afraid, the angel said. I have good news for you, of great joy. That is for everyone. For everyone, good news, great joy. There is an announcement, a message. Well, what is it then, you'd say? Okay, it's it's great that it's good news. What is it? Well, there is a birth. And as beautiful as new babies are, and it's miraculous as a new birth is. This is obviously the greatest birth, but often we don't really understand like what was going on. We know, we think maybe manger, uh, swaddling clothes, all that. We think angels, shepherds. But what was going on here? The good news is that God the creator was fulfilling his mission to become our savior. And, and often many people have put it into words that... Uh, are much more poignant than I could. And so I want to read a couple thoughts about this. We call it, a big word here, incarnation, as in like God becoming flesh. God with us. God. God above all. Universe. And so let me read you some words about this moment, the birth. And maybe it can make some more sense to you. Listen to this describing Jesus and what he did. What he did, this is an idea, this is not scripture, but I find it pretty, pretty striking, pretty beautiful. It was a leap down as if the Son of God rose from his splendor and majesty and stood poised at the rim of the entire universe, a radiating light, and then dove headlong speeding through the stars over the Milky Way to Earth's galaxy, finally past Arcturus, which I didn't know what that was, but that's the brightest star in the sky, speeding past Arcturus where he plunged into a huddle of animals. Nothing could be lower. The incarnation, God becoming flesh. Uh, Some of you have held newborn babies, some of you, any of you have had newborn babies? I don't know if you remember the experience of counting fingers and toes, making sure they're all there. Mary probably counted fingers and toes of Jesus, God, as a baby. Augustine wrote, unspeakably wise. He is wisely speechless. He didn't have any words. 
a guy named Lancelot Andrews, preaching Christmas Day, 1608, in front of the King of England, who he transcribed most of the King James Version of the Bible, which we don't use, but some of us grew up using. He preached, he said, the word of all without a word. He humbled himself, could not speech. Quiet he lies, whose vigor hurled and created a universe into existence. That was Jesus. And now he sleeps, whose eyelids had never closed before. You ever thought about that? There's no need for sleep in heaven. He humbled himself to need sleep, to be tired. The one who asked Job, if you know Job, and we've studied Job in, in Bible studies, chapter 38. Where were you, Job, when I made all the heavens and all the universe and all the created things? You question me, Job. You raise your fist at me, Job. Where were you? And the one who asked those questions is now, again, utterly speechless. His birthplace. I mean, you can't get anything more humble uh, and here we are in, uh, in, in a, a beautiful, God-given place uh, and have so much to be thankful for. Uh, and yet God himself, creator of all that is, of, of you, of me, of us, humbled himself. The birthplace, you know, maybe not a stall. I mean, he was laid in a place where cattle and uh, other things... You know, Go to the bathroom. Nothing could be lower. Why? Why did he do that? Why did God choose that? Because the beginning of Christianity, whether that's in Bethlehem, you need to hear this. The beginning of Christianity, whether that be in Bethlehem or in your heart, always begins with this sense of need, a sense of insufficiency, a sense of fear. Let me say that again. The beginning of Christianity, the beginning of becoming, I said this earlier, a real Christian. A real Christian. Always begins with a sense of humility, a sense of need, a sense of fear, of saying, I can't do this, of even saying, I am afraid. The beginning of the life of Christ, either in Bethlehem or in your heart, that is where it begins. That is where Christianity, real Christianity, real Christians have always begun. And it's, we see it modeled here. And that's where the end of fear also begins. Because God comes in. Comes into our world. Comes into our hearts. Then the shepherds, did their fear come to an end? Well, they I don't know about their whole lives, but that moment, it certainly did. The angels were there. So going into verse 13 and 14, the multitude of angels. Now, uh, that literally means thousands upon thousands. So we picture it, maybe a handful, a couple, or one, or many, again, people smarter than me or scholars. They say they think it was every angel. Ever. Why? Because it was such a momentum, I mean, the most important event. If he doesn't come, as a, a brother here who's not here today, but tell me, a brother, if he doesn't come, he doesn't die for us. Every angel, I, so I actually believe it's every angel 
across the skies, the multitude, uh, and the message that they gave. The message of they gave. It says, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace on earth to people he favors. Uh, the message then is the message now if you're a real Christian. Right, what do you mean by that? The message is first up and then out. You catch that? Glory to God first, and on earth, peace to those. The message the angels gave, the message Jesus radiated his entire life and his death, uh, the message that you can see in the lives of, again, real Christians, is first up, glory to God for what he has done. Glory to God in this. Glory to God, yes, in his word, but more of what the word says. Glory to God in his plan. Glory to God in his death. Glory to God in becoming, having fingers and toes. Glory to God, his majesty. Glory to God first before plans or programs or services or events or outreach. Glory to God for what he has done in Jesus. And then it is out. And out to all people. To all of us. Why we say neighbors and nations, to all peoples, to all the earth, to all those and their many in the buckle of the Bible belt who have no connection to Christ or no connection to a community of Christ. And God wants to grow in us a heart of no fear. And sometimes we attribute that no fear of like, well, stating your faith or sharing your faith. No fear in saying glory to God uh, and walking and talking and yes, uh, sharing, but really living out uh, to show his glory. By what you do, by how you do what you do, uh, as a doctor, as a businessman, as a mom, as a student, as a student looking to college, in a relationship, in a new marriage. Glory to God. And if you give glory to God, it's going to go out. That's the message. And then the music. I don't know if you imagine the music. You know, hymns have been written about it, famous hymns. The Hark the Herald. I believe if you, if you get a chance, maybe today or tomorrow, there's a lot going on, but read Hark the Herald. I think it's the most, I think it's the truest of what was going. Hark the Herald, angels sing glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. But I love the line, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail incarnate deity, veiled in flesh. You know how we wrap presents as a gift? I don't know if you think about this, and you may say, well, it's not really apt. But the Son of God, the gift, the true gift, hidden in the flesh of fingers and toes as a baby, of a situation in Bethlehem, of a man, I mean, we, we see Jesus up here, but uh, as brothers and sisters, and I believe Hunter may have shared this one time, has preached, you know, now the glory of, of the sun uh, radiating light now in power and glory. He's, he was veiled in flesh. So how, how does fear end then? I mean, I, I think that's how fear ends here in the passage. But in your life, if you said, man, I'm still afraid of a lot of things, you, you probably are. I mean, if you come here and, you know, your sense of belief is in programs and buildings and even budgets and outreach and things and not in what God can do and is doing in you, the fears may remain. If you begin to inch 
or walk or run to the glory of God and the gift of Christ, fear diminishes. Fear comes to an end. It is a, a powerful thing to see in a human being. So think about gifts. You know, Chris, about a gift, gift, the gift of the Son of God. Think about the best gift you've ever received. I mean, literally a, a physical created gift. You know, how does fear come to an end? Well, think about the how that those wonderful gifts are given. Maybe the plans that you have made for that special gift that you hope someone will just love. The, the plans of how maybe you ordered it, ordered it or shopped for it, whether that's online or at a store. How you hid it, how you wrapped it. Uh, all the plans and thinking about, well, what will this most special person want the most? Uh, the how in that. There is a how in how this gift was given. A plan that goes all the way back into Genesis and all of the Old Testament and the prophecies and the plan of God to come at this particular point uh, in history. And so there was definitely a how that led to the birth of Christ, to the gift being given. That is miraculous in itself and God orchestrated. Think about why you give a gift. Why you give a gift to that person that you love the most, care about the most. Because you love them. And if we say we believe, or I even say that I would argue that this is the greatest gift anyone could ever receive and in all the world, then why was it given? Out of a very intimate and very personal love for you as an individual. Again, Christianity always begins, whether it's in Bethlehem or in a heart, with a sense of need. And so you need to know uh, this God we profess and talk about and sing about, he loves you intimately, personally. First John said, this is love, that God loved us first and sent his son to take on our sin. And we all got it. We all got, we're all broken. We're all fragile. You ever get boxes, gifts, you know, fragile, handle with care. Every person in here, they should, we really should have that sign. We're fragile, handle with care. The why it was given is that God knows that. And whether you know it or not, he is handling you with care, even right now. And the gift itself, the gift itself, the, I mean, the wrapping of the setting, the experience, the world, the person, literally, the gift itself is Jesus, Son of God, made flesh to die for us, giving us a joy. What is that, you know, joy? We talk about that, joy to the world. Joy is we don't have to do it on our own. You don't have to prove yourself anymore. You can rest in the Lord. Peace, a serenity, that there is a plan, that there has been a plan in the how, that there is not just a person, but God who loves you, not generally, but intimately. And you have his love to show it to others. You can love when you're not receiving love. And I've said this, that is the secret to life. To love someone, whether that's a friend, a co-worker, a child, a spouse, we're not receiving love. And you have hope. And I, we do live in a world of fear. And often we live in a world where there's just not a lot of hope. There's not a lot of hope. But man, there, 
as Christians, as real Christians, we should be the most hopeful people because there has been a plan and there is a plan. And you were created in this broken world in broken moms and dads, perfect in God's eyes. So your strengths and then your weaknesses also are incorporated into that plan. And God is using it even now. Even if you would say, well, I'm not a real Christian. And there's hope in the future. That yes, your individual personal gifts will be used until you meet him. Uh, but also that there is a, a global plan that all things will be made right. And that this is, I believe, and I think it's biblical, a preparation for that entire life, that eternal life, that can begin on earth but never ends. To be very, very hopeful. And if you don't have it, I, I pray that you have it. And we get, you know, we get so uh, mixed up in, in our goals and, and our plans and our dreams and our desires and whether that's as a student, as uh, a good school or the right school or the right career or the right spouse or the perfect wedding or the perfect family or the picket, fin- picket fence or being known being known in a community, being a big fish in a small pond, or being a, a big fish in, in all the ponds of all the earth, or it gets so mixed up. God is a plan. We can rest. We can rest at Christmas, but not just because it's Christmas break, because God is doing all this in you and in the world. And when that really happens, fear comes to an end. I mean, there's circumstances will continue, but the genuine fear that the enemy, the adversary, uses comes in because there's something greater, more powerful, more real, and it's true. C.S. Lewis, last thing I'd say, C.S. Lewis was, was an atheist, big-time atheist, like, you know, fought, very great mind, fought, you know, Christians and argued and all that, and, but he loved myths and he loved stories, and then he ended up writing some. And J.R.R. Tolkien the author of Lord of the Rings, uh, was used by the Lord to convert him. Tolkien didn't convert Lewis. The Lord did, but he was used. And he used that power of the story, the power of the myth. And what most you know, convicted Lewis was he just said, this is the one true, real myth story. And the more Lewis thought about that, about all that God did and in the world and in history and in experiences and in his own life, the Lord worked on him. We all love stories. We love Christmas stories. This is a real story. And the real story, the real gift, I believe, of Christmas, Jesus brings an end to fear. So I'd ask you seriously today as we move into Christmas Eve, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of how you look, how you appear? I mean, are you afraid of what people think, being on time or being late? Are you you afraid of not measuring up? Are you afraid of not making it, not having that ideal? Jesus Christ brings an end to fear. Uh, we can rest in him, but it is what he has done, giving his life, sacrificing his own body, and the plan to do that because of love for you. May you know it at Christmas. May God move us to an end of fear. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've done, what you're doing you've done in the past of we see manger we see angels we see shepherds and we they were all afraid and you brought it into fear and here today i pray there there's so many fear there are people here but there's so many fears here and i pray that you would bring an end to fear through 
through your power, supernaturally. So I pray for those who, uh, who may fear a gathering because someone is not there this year. Uh, I pray for those who fear um, just the situation of, of going to, um, going to uh, an ex-husband or ex-wife dropping the kids off and what that can bring and just the weirdness. And, and I pray for the, uh, the encounters that uh, some folks can, can dread. Uh, with those who we love or we're supposed to love and just don't have feelings of love. I pray for all that supernaturally. You just bring an end to the fears of our hearts. And we know that Christianity always begins, whether we see it in Luke 2 in Bethlehem or in our heart, with a sense of need and insufficiency. So I thank you for those feelings of fear. And now as we come to your table, may we bring them to you and say, Lord, I am afraid here. Take it. Claim it. Help me. May we do that. Humble us. Humble these people gathered in this building so that we can know you more. And even begin for the first time or again or anew as a real Christian life. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name, amen.